Welcome to the Ark Stories Podcast. Ark Stories are true, personal, and told in person at Ark Stories events. Our podcast brings recordings of these stories straight to you for your listening enjoyment. I am your host, Chris Kinsley. Now, before we get going with today's episode, you probably noticed I just called this the Ark Stories Podcast and thought to yourself, wait a minute, I thought this was the Ark Light Stories Podcast. Well, it was. But due to some trademark issues, we needed to tweak our name a bit. So from here on out, we'll be known as just Arc Stories. But that's the only thing that's changing. Arc Stories is still all about true personal stories told in person in front of a live audience by the people who lived them. And today, we have two of them for you. Both stories about family, about children actually, and how they changed their parents. This first one was recorded at an event we hosted in May of 2012, where the theme was All In, Tales of Taking the Leap. Here's storyteller Shane Etheridge. Uh, If this story has any kind of title, it could be called uh, Zero to Three in Six Months, Zero to Three in Half a Year, whatever sounds best. Uh, Before we got married, my wife and I had these discussions, as you do, about what we wanted our family to look like when it you know, came time to reach that point in our lives together, how we were gonna put that together and what that new like, family unit was gonna, was gonna look like. And we, all, and we both knew that we wanted adoption to be a part of that, to, to take a kid with no family and bring him, or bring him into a family, that was always gonna be part of our story and we both wanted to do that. Uh, so after we've been married a couple of years, we got the opportunity to go and visit the Eastern European nation of Ukraine. So we went uh, for uh, 10 days or two weeks, and, and we saw, I mean, all of Ukraine, all there is to see, in a van with several other people. And so, I mean, we went to the extreme western border uh, over by Poland, to the, in the extreme eastern border over by Russia, and the extreme southern border on the Black Sea. Uh, and... If, you have, if you're at all interested in international travel and ever have the opportunity to drive across a foreign country, it's, it's a fantastic thing to do uh, because it's, it's not just like going to a city and walking around and looking at stuff. It's a totally kind of immersive way to see it. It's a very local, like from the ground up kind of experience. And so we go to this, we go to this country and we, we drive all over it and we go to several different orphanages in several different cities and meet tons of kids. And this is definitely where we're going to you know, adopt from. And Brandy, Brandy would probably tell you that she felt a, a pull towards Ukraine, a calling for Ukraine. To me, honestly, Ukraine was just as good a place as any uh, to snag a kid from. And so <laughs> we go, uh, not that they you just snag them. Uh, and so, but anyway, so we go and we do this thing and we go all over this, all over this foreign country and we meet all these kids, and it was great. It was a really great trip. And so we got, we got back on the plane, and the thing you have to understand about Ukraine is it's this very bizarre dichotomy of like being in a, in a Rembrandt painting come to life and then being in a Cold War-era slum, and they're butted right up next to each other. It's a country with this phenomenal natural and agricultural beauty, and then over here is a, like, Soviet despair, 
It's just, and they're and they share a border, uh, and you just cross from one to the other almost without noticing. So it's a, it's a strange little place. Uh, and so we got back on the plane to come home, and I said, "This was an awesome trip. Let's never come back here uh, until until it's time to adopt." And, you know, let's let's we're good. I'm good on Ukraine. I'm good. I've seen it, done it. Don't you know? Please don't fall. Uh, and so she did not feel that way. So when the opportunity arose to go back the next year, she went back. Uh, I did not go because I was done on Ukraine. And so she went back at, to a city on the extreme eastern border, like I said before, very near Russia. And she worked this time with one orphanage and got to know those kids. Now, when she left, I said, find a kid. We'll go. You know, pick, us, pick us one up. Uh, like, like going to Target. Uh, and so I said, Pio, pick out a kid and we'll go. I got two rules. Nothing over about the age of seven or eight, because once you get past that, you run into some issues and they're further behind in you know, school and things like that. And no girls. Uh, I don't want girls. I don't want daughters. Uh, girls are crazy half the time. And the other half the time, I don't understand them. Uh, and then they want to date boys and then boys want to date them right back. Uh, and so, because I, I know this because I'm a boy, and when I was, I wanted to date the hell out of girls. And so, uh, and so, I, so, so that's bad. That's bad for everybody, and I don't want to be a part of it. And it's being bad for the boys, it's bad for the girls, it's bad for the universe as a whole for me to be in charge of girl humans forever. And so, I just said, skip, just no girl. And so she goes, and she's gone for, you know, 10 days or two weeks, and then she comes back with these stories about these two just wonderful little kids, and she all just loved them, and they were awesome. And I said, what are their names? And she said, Sasha and Marina. And I said, sounds like girl names. Uh, and she said, yeah, they're girls, but it's, you know, it's not an issue because they're not adoptable. You, they, you can't adopt these two. They have parents or a grandparent that still has rights. Ukraine also has this weird sort of revolving slash open door policy with orphanages in which you can kind of just take your kid and leave them. Uh, and, and a lot of, sometimes it's, we'd rather be drunk all the time than raise these kids. A lot of times it's, we're out of food and we can't feed them. So we'll be back to get them when there's more food. Uh, and so kids kind of come and go as appears. A lot of kids in Ukrainian orphanages aren't actually orphans. Uh, so, she goes and she comes back with these stories of these two little girls who she is head over heels in love with, but are staying there. And so it's moot, right? So she goes back the next year and she comes back with the same kind of stories about the same two kids. And then she goes back again the next year and she comes back with the same stories about the same two kids. And then she goes back again the next year and then I get a phone call. <laughs> and I remember, I remember the date because it was Halloween and it was odd for her to call me because she's in Ukraine and it costs like $11 a minute to make a phone call from there. And so I'll pick up the phone at work and said, hey, hey, how much is this phone call costing us? And she said, I know, right? Probably a lot. Uh, and she said, I got to tell you something. And I said, what? Is everything okay? And she said, yeah, I just need, I just have to tell you something. I just found out that Sasha and Marina are available for adoption. And I can hear in her voice, she is telling me this because she feels like she has to. Because she's doing her due diligence. She's doing right by, the, by these kids by just telling me that this is open. This door is open. And she knows what I'm going to say is, 
Sasha Marina, by the way, are at this point uh, almost 13 and 10. And so she knows I'm going to say it's a 13-year-old girl. We are not equipped for that. We are, you know, it's our first foray into parenthood, and I'm not sure if a 13 and a 10-year-old are an awesome way to get the ball rolling on that. Uh, plus, it's two of them, and that's twice as expensive. Adoption is extremely expensive. Uh, and so she knows I'm going to say this, and so she tells me they're adoptable, and I say, what changed? Did, did the parents die or, some, or something like that? She said, no, we were just given bad information. And so I said, well, tell them we're coming to get them. And there was a long pause that cost me about $6. <laughs> and she said, and she said what? Like that? And, so, and I said, tell them we're coming to get them. And she said, are you serious right now? Uh, and I said, yeah, tell them we're coming to get them. And she said, but you said no girls. You know, and I said, I know what I said, but for these two, for you, it's different. You're, you love them. They love you. You're already their mom here. And so tell them we're coming to get them. And she said, are you sure about this right now? And I said, I said, yeah. She said, do you want to sleep on it or something? You know, and I said, no, I'm, you know, it's all thought out. Just tell them we're coming to get them. And she just went, Let, I'm going to call you back tomorrow. And I said, you're going to call me back tomorrow. You know what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to tell you to tell them we're coming to get them. Uh, and she said, just let me call you back tomorrow. It'll make me feel better. And I said, fine, call me back tomorrow. She calls me back tomorrow and says, where you at? And I said, tell them we're coming to get them. And so she did. And she comes home and we start the adoption process, which is, in the best of cases, a nightmare. When you do it, in a place as ass backwards as Ukraine, it's like going to the monkey house and trying to teach math. It's uh, uh, And so we start the paperwork, we start the paperwork process, and we hit this paperwork like a two-ton truck. There is a mountain of forms and applications to fill out, and it takes most people nine months at least, and we did it in just under six because we were absolutely driven by the fact that every day we woke up in America and our daughters who we knew and who were like a face and a handwriting and a personality and a voice and hobbies, they're real to us already. And so we wake up in America and they wake up in a shitty building with no heat where the lock doesn't work on the door and there's no way I can protect them and there's no way I can provide for them and somehow sending them a coat just doesn't cut it anymore. Yeah. And so we bombed through this paperwork. We stayed up till four or five o'clock in the morning some nights filling out the giant booklet of crap that we have to fill out to do this. And so we could send everything off the next day. Everything, we turned everything overnight, everything. And, you know, and we went through this, this nine month process in six months. And while we're doing this, people just came out of the woodwork uh, to help us. Um, as I said before, adoption is extremely expensive. We had friends get together and put together a benefit for us to raise money, uh, like a $20 a plate thing in silent auction, and at the end of it, it had raised like $5,000, which they handed to us in an envelope. Said, here you go, use it. We had a family offer to pay uh, our in-country expenses when we were there, our translator, our facilitator, several thousand dollars. They just said, we're, we feel like we should pay it for you. And we have, we have friends who, out of the blue, called us one morning and said, we want to give you guys all of our sky miles to use. Hundreds of thousands of sky miles that they were saving uh, to do something with. 
and they just felt like we need to give this to you. I'm not a person who likes to accept help like that, uh, especially of a monetary nature. That's just, I just don't like it. Uh, and so I tried to turn these things away and just was simply not allowed to. Uh, the, the husband of the couple who gave us the Sky Miles so when I said, look, you don't have to do this. You guys don't have to do that. He said, here's the thing, and I want you to stop this because if we had $20,000 to give you to cover this, that's what we would do. We don't. We do have this, and it's unacceptable for you to not let us. So knock it off. And he was right, so I did. Um, and so, and so you know, all these people just came and did all this phenomenal stuff. And when, and when people do that, when people you know, come to the line with you like that, it makes this big thing you're doing seem a lot less risky. Uh, and it makes the fact that it's going to change your life forever seem a lot less scary. So we get through the paperwork, and we submit it all, and we get a court date, and we go to Ukraine. Now, the, the, the time we spent in Ukraine is another arc light altogether. Just the cast of characters that was involved in this process would take the rest of our time tonight. So but it's a, it's a very long story, but it's a good story and it ends and it ends happily. It ends with us tucking our daughters into bed their first night in America. Uh, and so it, it's a successful ending uh, to that to that story. But like I said before, this the story had a title it would be zero to three in six months. So we've been back in America together, all of us, for two days, 48 hours, and I get a phone call, another one from my wife, and she says, would you pick up a pregnancy test on your way home from work? And I said, for whom? And she said, well, it's for me, but don't worry. I know that's not what this is. I know that's not what it is. I just, I can't shake this nausea. I can't shake this fatigue. And I feel like I, I should be feeling better by now. And I'm not. She was nauseous and fatigued the whole time we were in Ukraine, but so was I. <laughs> because we're in this foreign country, it's, it's extremely stressful. We're going through this process in which you have to stand before judges that speak a language you don't. Uh, the food is terrible. Everything smells like beets and garbage. Uh, you know, it's, it, I, was, I was nauseous and exhausted too. Uh, it's just that she figured something else was off. So I said, yeah. You know, she said, I want to eliminate that as a possibility before I go to the doctor and ask for a B12 shot or antibiotics or something like that. And I said, okay, great, fine. I'll get you two pregnancy tests. Uh, and so I did, and I brought her and I threw them on the bed, and I didn't really think anything about it until I was sitting in my floor watching the Braves play the Pirates on the television, and she brings me a pregnancy test with a big blue plus sign on it. And I just looked at it and started laughing. I mean, because hell, it's funny. And so I, so I handed it back to her, and then said, I said, does this have pee on it? And she, and she said, well, yeah. And I said, well, you take it away then and, and go to the other one. And so she did, and it had the same result as you might expect. And, and then I called my sister-in-law, who's a nurse, and said, pregnancy tests. She said, yeah. I said, false positives. And she said, they don't exist. What, do you, what year do you think this is? And I said, I said that, like, ever, they don't happen? And she said, who's pregnant? And I said, well, the thing says Brandy's pregnant, but that's what I'm calling you. And she said, okay, every one in a billion pregnancy tests will tell you that you're not pregnant when you are. And that's usually because you did something wrong and messed it up. 
if one's saying that you're pregnant, then unless Brandy's uh, having hormone replacement therapy to become a man, you need to make a doctor's appointment. And so we did. And when, when something like this happens, you think, you think back, you know, and when you don't expect this to happen, you think back and you try to pinpoint exactly when things went south, as it were. And, uh, and so, we, so we did, and we thought we had, we said, you know, we, think we, we pinpointed it to six weeks ago, okay, six weeks before. And so we looked it up on the little guide that women use that compare their unborn children uh, to, like, fruits and vegetables. That seems, that seems, to, be, that seems to be the standard. Uh, and so the thing says, uh, your, your unborn child is about the size of a sweet pea right now, and you should see a flashing little light where the heartbeat is and blah, blah, blah. And so we go in, and they said, you know, you say you're pregnant, and I guess, and, uh, yeah, how, how far along do you think you are? Six weeks. Okay, cool. So she pops the, you know, the, the thing on her stomach, and, I mean, up on the screen pops a baby. Not a sweet pea, but a baby with a head and arms and hands and legs and feet. Uh, clearly identifiable as a human person. And I, and I looked back at Brandy and said, Brandy, that does not look like a sweet pea. <laughs> And she said, <laughs> uh, and so, and I looked back at the nurse and said, how old is that baby? <laughs> and she was drawing a little line across it. She said, I'm going to put that baby at 13 weeks. So for, to save you some math, 13 weeks is three months and some change. So we are now, she was pregnant the whole time while we were in Ukraine. She is through the first trimester with no prior knowledge of being pregnant at all. Uh, and that means it's July, late July, and in January, we're gonna have a baby. Uh, so, here we go. <laughs> and so, six months later, uh, she, she did have a baby, which I'm pleased and proud to say was both under the age of seven and not a girl. <laughs> so, so so a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we're, we're all in the backyard because it was a nice day and we were planting the vegetable garden for the year, actually, and, and the kid likes to walk around outside and bark at the dogs. It's about, about a year and a half old now. And so, uh, and so we were all out, outside and it was quiet, which is weird for our house because it's got three kids in it uh, now. And so we were real, we were, it was really quiet and Marina, the, the youngest daughter, was helping me pot a maple tree that we're trying to get to grow. She kind of out of the blue and out of the quiet and said, Papa, are you happy? That's what they call me. Uh, said, Papa, she said, Papa, are you happy that you adopted us? And I said, yeah, I am. I'm happy about it every single day. You guys are the best thing I ever did. So, I mean, risk paid off. Thanks. Shane Etheridge is a graphic designer and co-owner of Upper Air Creative. In fact, he does all of our design for ARC Stories and has been an essential part of our team since the very beginning. You can find him on Twitter, at Upper Air. Now, this next story happens to be one of my favorites and not just because it's actually one of mine. It was recorded at an event from November 2012. The theme for that night was Thicker Than Water, Stories About Family. So, here I am, storyteller Chris Kinsley. So I am here tonight to share with you some parenting wisdom. Now I know how some of you are reacting. 
Any of you out there without kids, you're probably rolling your eyes, wondering why did I stay past the intermission? Because you know that when your friends have children, they all of a sudden become a bunch of know-it-alls. They begin to say to you, oh, you don't know what it's like. Just wait till you have kids. Let me tell you. But as a parent, let me tell you that what's really going on is it's not that we think we know everything. It's that we actually realize we know nothing. We know nothing, and it is incumbent upon us to try to prepare you for that day in which you realize you know nothing because no one fully prepared us whatsoever. And I'm not going to give you some big picture pie in the sky kind of advice tonight. This is going to be extremely practical. So get out your pens, get out your notepads, get out your iPhones and open up the notes program and write this stuff down because you're going to need it one day. Okay, so let's begin right off the bat with piece of parenting wisdom number one. Changing a baby's diaper is like playing Russian roulette. You don't know if there's a cartridge left in the chamber. (laughs) Now, my wife, Liza, and I, we have a little girl named Story, but we're about to have a little boy. We're adopting. We leave Monday. We're going to meet him for the first time on Wednesday. We're flying to Ethiopia. It's going to be awesome. But this this, this piece of parenting wisdom is common knowledge with little boys. Because there's something about when you open up the diaper and that fresh air hits those nether regions that it makes them want to open the faucet back up. And before you know it, before you know it, you've got a fire hose loose and everything's just going everywhere. Like this is such common knowledge that products have been invented. There is the PPTP that you can buy and pop open and place over the nether regions while you're changing the diaper to protect everyone because they know that this is happening but this piece of advice is true for little girls as well I learned this not long after we brought our daughter's story home from the hospital we had struggled with infertility for years it had been a long time coming my wife and I were super excited we drove her home from the hospital it was snowing the day we drove home we were, I was super careful like driving down Montgomery Highway super slow cars flying past me going like what are you doing don't you know we got a baby in here you know just freaking out <laughs> get the baby home. And I changed a lot of diapers, like right after story was born. Liza had to have a C-section, so, you know, this team effort all of a sudden was a, was a little tougher. I was taking care of Liza and taking care of story, and, you know, there's gross things that happen when you're changing early diapers for a baby, but this was after we got home and gotten through that, and one day story, uh, you know, they give signals that something's happened. You know, there, there are odors and scents and such. So I knew story was was, uh, you know, needing a change. I picked her up and I carried her to her room and put her on her changing table. There was a lot of pink in her room, just pink everywhere. Her story is super girly. and she, we, I guess we made her that way even from the beginning. And just we worked so hard on, on this, this room and I, I set her on, on the changing pad and, you know, began undoing the diaper and everything like that and opened it up. And, yes, we definitely need a change. And so I start reaching for the new diaper out of the drawer when I learned piece of parenting wisdom, number two, always trust your gut. Always trust your gut. It's going to get you in trouble sometimes. There's going to be sometimes as a parent, you're going to think you know what your child is doing and you're going to be wrong about it. But more often than not, your gut's not going to let you down. You're going to realize that all of a sudden the house is just a little too quiet and I should go check to find out what my kid's doing. But in this moment, as I open that and I begin reaching for that doctor, there's just something like the hairs on the back of my neck just stood up and I thought, 
oh no, something is about to happen. I, I don't know what, but something awful is coming. What can I do to prevent it? I quickly let go of the diaper I've reached for and reached back for the dirty diaper to kind of put it back into place as quickly as possible. I got it about to a 90 degree angle when I learned piece of parenting wisdom number three. Before I give you this piece of parenting wisdom, let me set it up. Um, we've all played with water guns before. Just like the cheap ones you buy at the dollar store and you fill them up, that you pull out the little stopper and you put it in there and you squirt and it's just a little, you know, just a little squirt like that. We all know what that is. But the difference between like that and a super soaker, you understand? Because in a super soaker, you filled it with water, but then you pump it up full of air. You build up pressure. There's mechanism in there to build up pressure so that when you pull the trigger on a super soaker, you all of a sudden just have this gush of water shoot forth, you know, under lots and lots of pressure. Piece of parenting wisdom number three is that babies come equipped with such a mechanism. <laughs> it's somewhere down there in their bowels. They don't tell you about it. I'm not sure when they grow out of it. I hope at some point it happens. But at this moment, pressure had built up inside of my beautiful little girl. And before I could get the diaper fully back in place, she pulled the trigger. And an explosion occurred. Not of urine. That's not where the device is located. It's for the other opening and an explosion happened. It shot out at such incredible speed. I mean, I wish I had one of those like, you know, high frame cameras where we could watch it back in slow motion to really figure out what the miles per hour was, like the Mythbusters do or something, because it hit that diaper in my hand and it just went everywhere. It's on the walls, it's on her, the changing pad, the changing table, it's on me, it's on the carpet, there's an entire pink chair, it's on the chair, it's everywhere. And I freeze. There's just a moment of, did this really happen? I, I can't believe this really happened. Is, is this? And so I do the only thing I know to do, I yell for help. Liza, Liza, you come quick. We need help. You've got to help me. Come on. Liza kind of shuffles. Remember, she's had the C-section, so she's getting there as quickly as possible. And she comes in, and she gets to the doorway, and she looks in, and she just stops in the doorway, and she surveys the carnage that is laid out before her. And she just says, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. And at this moment I learned piece of parenting wisdom number four. Always be prepared to go it alone. Life can deal you some terrible circumstances in a family. Sometimes things don't work out and what was intended to be a partnership and child rearing suddenly becomes a solo act. My wife, my beautiful wife, my strong wife, my faithful wife, said, oh my gosh, one more time, turned around and walked off. <laughs> she left her husband, new father, 
her new baby girl literally covered in excrement and went to another room. I, I stood there for a moment, now shocked for the second time in a, a matter of seconds. And I do the best I can. I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many baby wipes I went through in, in the next few moments, but I cleaned the story up as best I could, got that new diaper on, walked back through the house to find Liza in the living room, handed her story, went back and cleaned myself up and cleaned up the changing pad and the table and the carpet and the chair as best I could. We got it in the washing machine and everything, things like that. And then went back in the living room and Liza handed me story and I sat down, I held her, I looked at her. And I realized piece of parenting wisdom number five. It doesn't matter. Now you can replace that pronoun it with any number of things over the course of being a parent, I learn. But it doesn't. It doesn't matter. In that moment as I looked at my little girl, I thought, oh, isn't this what we all want? Don't we all want to be loved in a way in which someone could literally poop all over us? <laughs> I could poop all over. I mean, that doesn't. You, someone poops on you. There's gonna be a problem. But to have the kind of love where you could poop all over someone and they would clean you up and then come and cuddle you and hold you. Don't we all want a love like that lavished upon us? And that's what family. That's what family is to me. This this bond we have. Is it thicker than water? Yes. Is it sometimes grosser than a public porta potty? Absolutely. But it is also purer than the driven snow. Thank you. And that's our episode. I've been your host, Chris Kinsley, and you can find me on Twitter at Chris Kinsley. Again, you've been listening to the Arc Stories podcast. This podcast is produced by Taylor Robinson and myself. Francesco D'Andrea composed our theme. Special thanks to Eric Chapman from Symmetric Sound for his audio expertise. Don't miss our next radio show on Thursday, May 28th at 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. on 90.3 WBHM here in Birmingham, Alabama. If you live outside of Birmingham, you can still listen in at WBHM.org. We also have a number of different events coming up this summer that we'd love for you to come out and be a part of. You can find info about all of them on our website. We'll be switching over to arcstories.com soon, but for right now, you can still find us at arclightstories.com. There, you can listen to other stories, you can stay up to date with everything we have going on, and you even have the opportunity to submit your own story. After all, we're always asking, what's your story? <laughs>